This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, August 9th, 2019, and I am Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. So we have a really great show for you guys today. We are discussing the next generation of the federal workforce, how to cultivate it and how to lead it. We're very excited to have two guests joining us remotely and one guest in studio with us. First, let me introduce Ariane Gallagher. Ariane is the director of the Office of Presidential Fellowships at the Office of Personnel Management. Good morning, Ariane, and thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Next, over the phone, we have Thomas Ross. Tom is the president of the Volcker Alliance, where he leads the Government to University Initiative. Tom, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. And finally, on the phone, we have Brett Hunt. Brett is the executive director of the Public Service Academy at Arizona State University. Brett, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. To learn more about them, visit them at ltcfeds.com today. Okay, guys, so I'm very excited to have you. I want the guests to get to know you a little bit. So we're going to start the show by just going around and giving everyone a chance to introduce themselves and also tell me a little bit about how you guys are involved in creating the next generation of the federal workforce. So, Ariane, why don't we start with you and you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing at OPM. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, thanks so much for having me. So I am the director of the Office of Presidential Fellowships at OPM, part of the Center for Leadership Development in the Human Resources Solutions Division. And the main program under that office is the Presidential Management Fellows Program. Uh, The program has a rich 40-year history across government of identifying uh, the next generation of senior leaders for our federal workforce. And what we do is we work on recruiting Uh, graduate students and above across the country to come into the federal government and serve two-year fellowships with a variety of different federal agencies with the goal of converting into a permanent position afterwards. So it's a a really great program that has the opportunity to bring in uh, folks from a wide variety of academic disciplines to come in and work with agencies on the wide variety of missions while also being developed as future leaders in the government. Uh, Just for example, our recent class of 2019 finalists covered over 56 different academic disciplines and represented over 100 different academic institutions, both across the country and internationally. Wow, that's really great. And I can't wait to dive a little bit more into what you guys are doing and talk about how you have really helped cultivate a very new and young, diverse federal workforce. Uh, But first, Tom, why don't I give you a chance to talk about, introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what's going on at Volcker. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Tom Ross, and I I serve as president of the Volcker Alliance. And uh, the Volcker Alliance was created in 2013 uh, by Paul Volcker, who um, many of us remember as one of America's and still believe is one of America's great public servants. He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board uh, back under Presidents Carter and Reagan um, and is known for having broken the back of inflation. Uh, But he's continued a career-long public service. Uh, His last official role, I guess, was leading the Economic Recovery Board for President Obama. But he's had a long-time interest in the public service and has chaired, in fact, two commissions on uh, the civil service. And so he created the Volcker Alliance to really focus on how can we make government more effective. 
in order to achieve results for our citizens. And uh, in doing that, we believe one of the keys is having an effective uh, government workforce. We are, we're going to talk about, hopefully, uh, during this program, we think there's a workforce crisis in front of us, so we're doing a number of things uh, to address this. We've been engaged in research looking at um, how to prepare the public service uh, workers of the future. Uh, we did a, a comprehensive study of that, in interviewing over a 1,000 people or surveying over a 1,000 people that are involved in government uh, and published a report about that. Uh, we've launched our Government to Universities Initiative, uh, which is an effort to try to bring together uh, universities and governments um, more closely so that they can work together to address the talent pipeline issue and uh, not only um, encourage more people to serve in government, but hopefully create opportunities for them through internships and, and other ways to learn the value of government service and what a difference it can make. Uh, so we're, we're on this issue is... Uh, as uh, hard as we can be, and uh, you know, it's it's a really important one in our view, and uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So we're excited to be with you to talk about it today. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you guys on as well. I cannot wait to dive into a little bit more what this workforce crisis really looks like. And um, I think someone else who would probably agree with you that there are a lot of areas for opportunity right now is our friend Brett Hunt, who I'm very happy to have joining us as well. Brett, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what Arizona State University is doing to change the narrative regarding public service and uh, what that program looks like in the Public Service Academy. Well, thank you, Natalia. We launched back in 2015 what we call the Public Service Academy here at Arizona State University. The goal overarching of the Public Service Academy is to re-engage young Americans in service to the nation. Now, we do that in a variety of ways, but I want to start with kind of the founding idea. And it came from our president, Michael Crow, as well as uh, legendary newsman Tom Brokaw, who were talking about this idea that we should be training folks for service to the nation in a variety of different roles in the same way that we train military officers for service to the nation. So defining what are those skills, attributes, values necessary to be successful in serving the nation uh, beyond the military and other, other forms of service. So we launched uh, back in 2015 uh, the first component of that within the Public Service Academy, which we call the Next Generation Service Corps. The goal of the Next Generation Service Corps is to develop the uh, character-driven leaders with the courage to cross sectors, connect networks, and ignite action for the greater good. We do this with three main uh, uh, tools. First of all, curriculum. The students in their curriculum, they learn about cross-sector leadership, so they get an introduction to the public, private, nonprofit sectors, as well as um, social entrepreneurship and leadership and values. They take those and they implement them in internships in the public, private, and nonprofit sector. So even if folks say, hey, Brett, I'm going into the private sector, we still require them to do an internship in the public and nonprofit sector for the same reason that we do the coursework, because we want them to have a thorough understanding of how the public, private, and nonprofit sectors interact. And then finally, we have what we call service and leadership, which is direct, humble service in the community that they're required to do each semester, and then actual leadership within the program or at the university. So it's easy for us to talk about leadership uh, in the space of, a, of a, a class session, but it's something much different, which we all know, to go out and actually influence your peers to follow you in a difficult direction, which is really the essence of, of good leadership. And so uh, with all of those elements, our students, they take either a four-year program or a two-year program for transfer students coming out of the community college system and then graduate with a certificate in cross-sector leadership. We have students from 155 different majors on every ASU campus here in Arizona, as well as study abroad programs in uh, Puerto Rico and, and uh, Lima, Peru. And we have students on the campus there uh, in D.C. at the new ASU Center in D.C. We graduated our first class just back in May and um, are pleased to say that we have folks going into all sectors on 
specifically the federal and, and government service side. We have students that have gone into the Peace Corps. Uh, we have students that have gone to fellowships with the National Forests. We have folks in Teach for America, AmeriCorps, VISTA, a variety of the Service Year Alliance, as well as folks that have gone into state and local government. And uh, we're really glad to be around the table today. That's really great, Brett. I cannot wait to dive into some more of these programs. And, you know, I I especially like that you talked about that public-private partnership. And I know that's going to be a huge point of conversation today because, uh, you know, the public sector, the private sector, they can't do it alone. There, There needs to be that collaboration. We are actually right up against our first break, but we are going to really dive into this conversation as soon as we come back. You guys are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We'll continue our discussion with Ariane, Tom, and Brett after this break and a word from our sponsors. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We are just diving into this conversation, and I'm very excited with the group that I'm sitting here with today. Uh, Tom, I wanted to talk to you a little bit because, like you said, you've kind of done a lot of research at Volcker regarding this workforce crisis. And I've seen you guys describe it as this urgent public sector crisis regarding the need to cultivate young talent. And I thought that you might be able to just contextualize that for us a little bit and explain why this crisis may exist. I'm happy to try. Uh, So let me begin by uh, citing just a few statistics, which I think all of us here on the phone are aware of, and and, but maybe many in in, in the listening audience are not. Um, And the first is that if you look at the private sector workforce, at workers that are under 30, nearly 25% of the of the private sector workforce is in that age group of under 30, whereas in the federal government, that number is less than 7%. So clearly, we're not attracting the young people into federal government. We've looked some at, at some of the states as well, and we find that same trend in varying percentages, but it's a much lower percentage of young people under 30 in government at all levels than it is in the private sector. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is to look at the at the aging workforce in government. Um, and in the federal workforce, nearly a third of the workforce is eligible to retire in five years. And I noticed yesterday that uh, nearly 90,000 people have uh, indicated their intention to retire so far this fiscal year. Uh, which tracks almost exactly last year where there were over 100,000 total for the fiscal year. So if it continues the same trend this year, you're looking at 200,000 people in the federal government having uh, retired or indicated their intention to retire uh, just in the last two years. So there's a a real change in the workforce ahead where we're going to be losing a lot of people um, to retirement, uh, and we're not getting young people to, uh, to come into government at the rate we need to replace those jobs. Uh, so I think it is an urgent workforce crisis. I think we're going to have a large gap in employment. Um, and this is happening in the larger context of uh, a, a workforce in the country um, where the same trends are, are in existence. That is, uh, there is a, a large bubble of people in the baby boomer population that are headed toward retirement, um, and the generations after them are not as not as large, and the workforce is not as um, is is going to be able to fill those holes. Because if you look, for example, at high school graduations around the country, that that's a declining number because there are fewer people uh, in those cohorts uh, in the years to come. So. I think we're going to see a, a situation in which there's really high-level competition for the best talent, um, and government needs to get ahead of that curve and needs to figure out how it can attract its share of talent if we're going to be successful in, 
in providing the services that I think all of us uh, want and doing so in an effective way. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to also address uh, the issue that this creates within the federal government where we know how important human capital management is. We know how important it is to have a workforce that is able to deliver. Um, so many Americans all over the country rely on the public sector workforce and kind of when you don't have the talent necessary in the places that it's necessary, uh, that can have a ripple effect throughout the entire workforce. So I guess what I'm wondering is, is it that young people, do you think, not know about the opportunities within the public service? Uh, is it that they're just not interested? I'm wondering if one of you can speak a little bit to that. Well, I'm happy to. Again, this is Tom. I mean, I think what we've seen when we've been out around the country, um, and, and I'm sure Brett can also comment on this, is that there is a there's a lot of interest in service among students. It, it's not that they're not interested in service. The question is how they do that service and where they see the opportunity to be um, really effective and innovative and have an opportunity to, um, you know, to really contribute. And I think we haven't done a good job of helping young people understand that government can be that kind of place. Uh, that it can be a place where you can make a difference quickly and where you can be innovative and creative um, and, and use the uh, education and intelligence that you have. And I think there are a lot of things we can do to improve uh, understanding um, of what government does uh, in how we post jobs and in a number of other ways. But the, there are other issues that I think we have to be candid about. Uh, compensation is certainly one of those that enters people's minds when they're comparing um, the private sector and the public sector, um, and when they're looking at the difference between even nonprofits and government. Uh, so that's a factor that we need to consider. Um, I think there's also the issue of um, a lot of our elected officials uh, are, feel free sometimes to be critical of, of our government workers, and, and um, that can be discouraging to people who are considering public service. Yeah, and I know I that. I would echo what Go right ahead, Brad. Tom was saying particularly about the idea of exposing young Americans to national service as, as on-ramp uh, or as the federal government as, as an option for their employment in order to let them see that you can find purpose in that job. You know, I think the federal government's really never going to be able to compete with the private sector players on compensation and some of those other elements. But what they can compete on is this idea of serving something larger than oneself and the idea that I can go into this job and at a very early point in my career be solving problems. Because overwhelmingly, that's what we see with our students. They want to serve. They want to solve problems. And if the federal government can be a place that is showing them that they can do both of those things, I think that we can you know, start turning the ship on this issue. Um, rather than just focusing on compensation things that, you know, I think are, are highly fluid and, and you know, uh, difficult, particularly when you're talking about your highest performing uh, folks coming out of school. I completely agree with what Brett's saying. And I think one of the things that is a challenge for government, but also a really great opportunity, is the way that we can communicate about the work in that there's a misnomer with, with federal government service in particular that maybe a lot of the work is administrative or very kind of technical or that there's not a lot of opportunity to be a problem solver, to be entrepreneurial, to be creative, and that is the exact opposite. And so one of the things that we always try to do with the Presidential Management Fellows Program is really communicate the opportunity and the amount of work that you get to do in terms of the impact that you can provide to the citizen and to the mission and really showing that it is a huge opportunity to be creative, to be entrepreneurial, um, just as much as you would in a private sector organization, and oftentimes more. Because a lot of times, with federal agencies asking to do more with less, you're given a significant amount of responsibility. You're given a significant amount of support and ability to really help drive impact across all of these agency missions. And so it's something that we at the PMF program and others across government are really trying to figure out how can we effectively communicate that to uh, students across government so that they can really see themselves in these positions and really providing an impact? I would also add that I think 
moving off of what you said, Ariane, when a lot of people think of public service, they don't realize that you can have almost any job nowadays that exists in the private sector. There are engineers, doctors, all these different career fields available to the within the public sector that are also available within the private sector, but give you that added feeling of doing something a little bit greater that impacts your country. And so I wanted to move into a little bit that kind of communication between the government and people within academia, within the nonprofit network. I know PMF has really focused on recruiting the best through connecting with all these different networks. And if you want to talk a little bit, Ariane, how you guys have tried to do that and try to bridge that gap. Sure, we're happy to. Um, One of the things that we try to advocate and be open for is that we're an open marketplace, that any uh, university or academic institution that wants to learn more about us, we try to make a very easy to understand pipeline to get to us, to communicate with us, to become part of our community. Uh, The other thing that we try to do is also try to actively target based on what the skill sets that agencies are telling us they need. I mean, I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone that some of the biggest skill set needs within government, mission-critical areas such as cybersecurity, uh, other STEM technologies, uh, business and accounting are huge needs across the government. So we try to actively find schools with those graduate programs, working with their faculty, working with their schools to make sure that they see PMF and the federal government as an option and how can we help them provide that information and awareness so that they understand that the opportunity is out there and figure out what they need to do to help connect to it. Um, We've been significantly growing our academic partnerships, and we increase our ability each and every year to figure out how we can do that effectively and efficiently while also just creating that open marketplace for all academic institutions uh, to work with us. So we, in the past couple of years, we've been really working on establishing stronger partnerships and more partnerships with uh, those schools for those different uh, academic skill sets, but also with uh, historically black colleges and universities, Hispanic serving institutions, and other colleges so that making sure that we have both a diversity of skill set and a diversity of uh, demographic background in the program so that the people who come through and, and participate in the fellowship really represent the citizens that they serve. That's really great. Um, that's really exciting to hear because I know that the federal government, you know, making public service available to everyone is really important. Now, I know when a lot of people think of working for the government, they think of working in D.C. However, you know, most of the federal workforce is not located in D.C. It is all over the country near the people that they serve. And uh, Brett, if you want to talk a little bit about the demand out in Arizona, you know, you're on the other side of the country from D.C. I'm a little bit curious about how you have kind of fostered the idea of working with government in a place that's so far away from the Capitol. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, I was actually thinking about this as Ariane was, was speaking. You know, our most fruitful relationship with a government agency is really with the city of Phoenix and with Maricopa County, which is obviously proximate to us. And the reason that is because they are so deeply entrenched in the work we do within our university that it's, uh, it's, it's frankly the path of least resistance for exposure to government types of work. One of the things that we've had success with here locally are different federal agencies that permit the hiring of interns from the local from a local process. So as opposed to I want to do a an internship with DHS, I am applying through a centralized location in DC and that kind of goes into ether for a while. I don't hear about it I'm applying to a variety of different internships. Having agencies here on the ground, maybe sub to DHS, who are authorized to actually do local internship programs. And that sounds like, you know, small fry, but that makes a huge difference when it's something proximate where you can actually see yourself going into serving in that agency in the local community. Um, That makes a difference. That little difference, that little change makes a difference. Yeah, and I think it is a good way of reminding people that, you know, D.C. is great, but most of the people who are impacted by the federal government are on the ground all over the country. Exactly. Uh, it's a, I think the statistic is about 85 percent of the federal workforce is outside of the Washington, D.C. area. And um, when a lot of people hear that statistic, they're super surprised. 
And so um, we're trying to figure out ways that we can increase the regional presence of fellowship opportunities with PMF and see a really great opportunity with uh, organizations called the uh, federal executive boards. There's 28 federal executive boards across the country that cover all different regions, and we're working on establishing partnerships with them. Uh, Many of those folks in those areas are PMF alums, so we're really excited to work with them to figure out how we can increase the number of regional fellowship positions so that fellows can see themselves working in those regions where they went to school, in those regions where they grew up. And we often hear from our finalists that they are looking for more opportunities um, in the area where they went to school and that they are looking to stay in those regions where they grew up and where they have those communities. So that's something on our plate that we're definitely trying to help increase awareness and increase those amount of regional opportunities for individuals to participate in. That is some awesome. This is where our government, the university initiative, and our effort to build our G2U regional councils uh, is is exactly because of the fact that so much of the federal workforce is outside of Washington, and so much of the you know the work that gets done gets done outside of Washington, and and a lot of people don't know that. And then in addition, you know, we work it, it with state and local governments as well, and. Um, you know, of the 20 million people that work for the government of one at one level or another in the United States, 18 million of them work with state and local governments. So uh, there's a lot happening outside of Washington, and and um, you know, I think the our effort to try to uh, work with with uh, levels all three levels of government and universities on a regional basis can really make a big difference in terms of uh, helping people better understand the opportunities in government, but also build. Uh, new ways of attracting students into uh, government service. Great. Tom, I really want to get more into these regional councils because I think the Volcker Alliance is doing some really great stuff with their D2U initiative, but we are right up against our second break. So we will continue this discussion right after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. I am here with Ariane Gallagher from the OPM Presidential Management Fellows Program, Thomas Ross from the Volcker Alliance, and Brett Hunt from the ASU Public Service Academy, talking about how we prepare young people for public service. Tom, we were just getting into a little bit of the work that the Volcker is doing with the regional councils, and I'm really excited about this project. I know you guys have already kicked it off a little bit and you have a lot more on the horizon. So let's turn it over to you and talk a little bit about what's going on. Great. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. So it it all started really last fall. Um, We we were very fortunate to have Dustin Brown, uh, who is the Assistant um, Deputy Director of Management at at, uh, OMB, who took a sabbatical and came to work with us and and uh, we decided that the thing to do was to go out of Washington, to go out into uh, places around the country and sort of understand better what's happening between governments and universities, what kind of relationships they have. Um, and so we, we did four sessions around the country in cooperation with Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, uh, at UNC in North Carolina, um, at uh, the LBJ School in Austin, Texas, and in Kansas City. And we invited uh, people from all three levels of government as well as uh, from uh, regional universities. Uh, And these were people that from the university side that included career service officers, faculty, administrators, 
And then from government, it was hiring authorities. It was people from the federal executive boards that Ariane mentioned. It was um, people, again, from the mayor's offices or the, the, the governor's office or state legislatures, people who uh, were actually doing the work of government. Uh, and we brought them together and talked about some of the big issues facing government, including the ability to hire talent. Uh, how do you go about doing a better job of recruiting talent? How do we skill and reskill people in the workforce already in order to be sure we keep the talent we have? And then how can we better tie research that's happening in universities uh, directly to help solve government problems? And we learned a great deal in those four sessions. And um, from from things like, well, we could do a better job of writing job descriptions to help students better understand, um, you know, the, the kind of opportunities that exist in government. At the same time, we we learned that, you know, there's really a, it's hard for students because they there's not a, a central place they can go and look for a government job at, at any particular level. So maybe thinking about a, a portal that would list all government jobs at, at each of the three levels uh, might be something worth considering. So we learned a lot, and what we really came out of those sessions believing is that creating sustainable networks um, in which universities in a region can work with governments um, to solve these problems um, it is really an opportunity that we needed to pursue. Uh, and when I say sustainable networks, we really are looking for building a network that has a governance structure that uh, can survive sort of ad hoc relationships or, or individual personalities and can actually create an environment in which universities and government can work more closely together, uh, can really build on new ideas of how do we do a better job of recruiting people into government, how do we do a better job of explaining to students uh, what government work is really like and what the total compensation package is instead of maybe just the salary so that they have a better sense of, of how to compare. So there's a lot of opportunity here, I think, in a lot of ways that governments and universities can work together. And, and we really sense a tremendous level of excitement about this. Uh, so as you say, we, we are up and running in Kansas City. Uh, we are, are working uh, to get things going in Texas, and we're talking still um, uh, about how the, the, uh, what our next steps are in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we also have had um, great conversations with people in Atlanta, uh, in Seattle, uh, and in Los Angeles that are all very interested. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to speak to the Federal Executive Board uh, annual uh, operations uh, session just, uh, I believe, last week in Washington, and uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm among the FEB directors about this project. So uh, hopefully we can find ways to work together to build these networks that we think will really, really help over the long term to solve this problem. Yeah, I think there's definitely a national appetite for increasing the relationships between local, state, federal government, academia, bridging a lot of these gaps. One of the things that you hit on um, was that for a lot of young people, it, it is just a very difficult process trying to break into the federal government. And I know that PMF has done some work with creating webinars and um, information sessions to help make it an easier process for students who are applying. Absolutely. Um, we engaged in a human-centered design process to really understand students and agencies to understand how we can best meet their needs and help them navigate the process as much as possible. And so what we do at all stages is that we try to provide, you know, that open pathway and navigate them through the process. We, uh, we have an open application process um, that both includes, you know, submitting your academic credentials and then um, completing an online assessment. And we are very upfront and transparent about exactly what that assessment is meant to assess for. They're meant to assess for core leadership competencies that are identified that by OPM that are needed for any leader, you know, including, you know, folks in the private sector, particularly in the public sector. Uh, we provide an assessment preparation guide. We publish that on our website every year so that applicants can go on, understand exactly what the tests will look like, you know, what are sample questions, and then helping them prepare to know what to expect when they're going online to take our assessment. Um, the other thing that we realized that we really needed to do was to help streamline the process as much as possible. So what we um, did with our sort of overall application and investing in our talent management system is we were able to streamline the application 
process from over four months to now six weeks. So when somebody goes in October to apply for the program, which the application this year op- opens on October 3rd, uh, you have two weeks to complete your application. And then before Thanksgiving, you know whether or not that you're a finalist. And then once you become a finalist, you have access to the open marketplace of positions across government that are only available to finalists. And we use a talent management system that includes those opportunities so they can see what agencies are hiring PMFs for, what type of opportunities um, does that include, what type of work, and then things that they can expect in terms of what's the career ladder of that position, what's the full promotion potential that they can get to in those positions. And then we work with them as soon as they're named finalists. We do webinars very early in the process to make sure that they understand, you know, here's the timeline that you have. You have 12 months to, you know, find a fellowship placement, and here's how we're going to help you navigate it along the way. Uh, We also host a lot of opportunities um, to connect agencies with finalists. And so this year we did a in-person hiring fair so that folks could have those face-to-face connections in addition to the online virtual marketplace that we create as well. And we've seen a lot of success with that in helping finalists navigate that process so that they can lead to a successful fellowship placement. Yeah, I think that's really important. And one of the things that you mentioned was those, you know, core leadership skills that are so important to make sure that you don't just get someone in the federal government, but you really get the right person. And Brett, when you introduce some of the curriculum that you're working on in the Public Service Academy, that idea of not just having a person, but also having a person who really has cultivated the leadership skills in order to succeed and you know, lead this new generation in the public sector is very important to your work. Can you talk a little bit more about how you guys are trying to not just cultivate talent, but cultivate the best talent and develop these new leaders? Absolutely. You know, leadership and specifically Character-driven leadership is the very first thing that we introduce our students to in the very first day of class uh, in August of each year. And the reason we do that is because along the entire route, whether that be the four-year program or the two-year program within the Public Service Academy, we're going to be constantly challenging them to understand their value, the values of the organizations that they're going to go work for in internships or eventually in a job, and uh, seeing if those values match, right? Because we see when we do that, they're able to find a deeper purpose to what they're doing in those internships or in those jobs. Now, throughout the program, they're put into challenging situations initially as team members, because we all know that uh, being a team member is the very first step to developing as a leader. And then in small team leadership roles and finally large team leadership roles, in order to fully develop uh, or most fully develop all of those skills necessary to go out and be successful. Now, one of the things that we have really observed and really one of the greatest joys of, of my job having been here from the very beginning is seeing folks come into our program and they say, you know, Brett, I'm not really a leader. You know, I was never captain of the football team. I was never president of student council. I'm not a leader. And being able to say every individual has the capacity to lead and you don't have to lead like the captain of the football team or the president of the student council. You can lead in your own unique way and that makes organizations stronger and in particular in the federal government. When somebody can come into a role and maybe have an initial two years in that role where they're uh, expected to be a follower and learn what's going on within that unit, but then rapidly, which is great about the federal government, step up into a leadership position, and then two years after that, step up into another leadership position. We're trying to, from the very beginning, when that 18-year-old freshman is in that first class, put them on that path of leadership growth and understand that that's a constant path of leadership growth and to give them the skills and the ability to be able to continue learning as they grow. And again, that's one of the great things about the federal government is that along the way, there are opportunities for them to continue developing and uh, developing as, as leaders within their organizations and, and within the larger federal government landscape. Yeah, I love talking about the developmental aspect of federal government and what we do to help develop folks coming in to the program. Uh, one of the things that we realized with the PMF program is that we needed to provide a more consistent, uh, high-quality leadership development opportunities for our fellows during their two years. And so what we started in 2017, and I'm 
really thrilled about is our Presidential Management Fellows Leadership Development Program that is open to every fellow as part of the program where they get over 100 hours of direct leadership development training that is specifically designed around the executive core qualifications of leading people and leading change. And it really helps folks see and understand that at all position areas across government, you have the ability to lead people and lead change. And we really give them opportunities to work in those small cohort team environments with fellows either you know at their offices, at their agencies, or with other fellows across the country in these cohort groups to, to really uh, harness that and really develop those skill sets. And um, we've gotten a lot of really great positive uh, responses so far. And even where it shifts to from leading people to leading change, uh, fellows have the opportunity to work on scoped challenge projects with small teams of PMFs, and they're working on things such as cross-agency priority goals connected to the president's management agenda, where they're looking at issues that are government-wide, such as IT modernization, 21st century workforce, and they're working together as a team of PMFs, helping drive, you know, concrete scoped change to help move those goals along and, and forward. And it's been a great opportunity that we are continually excited to, to build and grow upon so that we can really prepare those fellows that once they complete the program, they are ready and are competitive to help take on those more uh, leadership responsibilities in their agencies. I love that. I think. And that, I'll just jump back yeah. in. Sorry, real quick. Go right to, ahead. to double down on what Ariane was saying is, you know, this kind of comes to the core of what we were trying to do when we founded the Public Service Academy, which was looking at how military officers train, which is one of, you know, the few places um, that we train folks at every level as they progress through their, their time within an organization. And we do that for national security reasons and, and for the defense of the nation. But taking that and exporting it, as Ariana is talking about, they're doing in the manner fellows to as many different agencies as possible uh, is what can really make critical difference, not only in the security and the health of our, of our nation, the security and health of our, of our federal workforce, um, but for those individuals when they're looking at their future career, to know that they're going to have those professional development opportunities, grow as a leader, uh, is critical. So as many places as possible, spread that, uh, that can make a tangible difference on a lot of different levels. That's awesome. We have to stop here for our last break. And when we return, we will wrap up this discussion. You guys are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Don't go anywhere. We're excited to come back and finish this up. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. We have talked a lot about how to engage the public and how to engage young people in public service. But one thing we have not quite touched on that I want to hit on is, you know, this is a two-way street. It's not just engaging the public, but it's also making sure that agencies are aware of the resources that are available to them and creating an open pathway so that agencies can recruit and have the best people on their teams. And that is something PMF has worked on, uh, pre-qualifying finalists, hiring all year round. Ariane, why don't you give us a little bit on how you're kind of getting agencies involved in this process as well? Great. Thank you. Um, I love working with all of our different federal agencies. We have right now about 161 federal agencies that work with us on the PMF program. I love being able to place fellows in large departments, such as the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, but also with smaller independent agencies like the Library of Congress, Export-Import Bank, just that open market of opportunities for fellows to engage in and find those employment opportunities is a really fantastic uh, privilege to be able to do and work on for the program. Uh, as part of the PMF program, each agency that works with us has a uh, agency coordinator. They're our primary point of contact, and it's required in the regulations that we have that sustainable con uh, contact with agencies, and we work um, vigorously with the program to help develop our coordinators as well, making sure that they have the tools and resources 
making sure that we're helping them spread the word to their agencies on the opportunity that's available and supporting them in that role. And what we um, have realized and continue to realize is that role is pivotal. So how do we help agencies incentivize folks um, to be in that role and to serve in that way? And then how can we make sure that we make it as easy as possible for them to access information, to access tools um, through our talent management system to be able to search our finalists to know what skill sets we have in the pool, to know, you know, what they're interested in and to see that marketplace of positions and also post for rotations because as part of the, the program, it includes um, four to six month developmental assignments. And so agencies can bring on fellows uh, for those rotations and really get um, exposure to the program that way as well. So building and sustaining and making sure that that network is very strong and supported is really critical to the program. And then what we try to do with agencies is try to understand where their challenges are, where their roadblocks are, and figuring out how can we break down those barriers. Um, we were really lucky to meet with a lot of agencies earlier this week to help understand some of those point, pain points and really figure out how we can support agencies in meeting those talent needs and, and seeing how that can be done, whether it's creating you know, centralized funding mechanisms through the agencies to bring on a cadre of PMFs um, instead of, you know, dividing by each agency division, or is it, you know, creating, what are those conditions that allow both an agency and a fellow to have a really positive experience and working with coordinators that are, have been with the position for a while, have really great experience and build those networks of support so that making sure that you have that pipeline into the agencies and making sure that you're investing in that and you're supporting them so that they can feel passionate and energized to go out to their community and bring in the demand from agencies for fellows is just one of the most critical pieces of our program that we're constantly trying to figure out how to evolve and support as the needs of federal agencies evolve over time as well for young talent. That's great. Natalie, this is, this is Tom. I want to just jump in. And I think it's important for your listeners to know uh, really how much progress the, uh, um, they've made over at, the, at Arian's work. I mean, the work with the Presidential Management Fellows, they have come so far uh, in the last two or three years in changing that program and making it so much more effective and working with agencies um, and that is just really, really important. And I applaud what they're doing and applaud, applaud Adrian for all this work she's done. I, I will say that I, I think one thing that we have to keep perspective about is the scale of work that needs to happen if we're going to meet this workforce crisis. Uh, the PMF program is invaluable and does great service for the federal government, bringing in some of the really top talent that we need. Um, but that alone is not enough. We've really got to figure out how can we scale that effort, make it even more effective, but how can we also uh, work with the regions where most of the federal employees are, work with the hiring authorities in those areas to streamline hiring practices, to make it faster for them to be able to bring people on, to create internships and fellowships for them out in the field so that um, they can attract students from regional universities and be able to really grow their own workforce and do it, in a, frankly, in a fairly quick way because of the crisis that we're facing. So it is really important that we think about scale, and that's what we're trying to do with our uh, G2U regional councils is to see how can we establish a group of networks that can sort of work on their own, that aren't going to cost anybody a whole lot of money, uh, but gives people an environment in which to really make change at a, at a much higher scale than uh, we've seen in the past. Tom, thank you. I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you, you know, with the large scale, like you said, of this crisis, I'm curious as to what success looks like. What is the point that we need to get to? What, what do you think that this a successful program would be like? Well, I, I think when we get to a point where, uh, first of all, uh, young people in America and Americans generally value public service uh, and do that through and doing that through government. Um, you know, we're at a point, frankly, where trust in government is at a very low level. Uh, a lot of people, you know, would rather bash government than recognize how important it is to us. And so I think part of the success that we hope to see down the road is as we convince more and more young people to come into government, make that pathway into government easier for them, uh, show them what that work can be like with programs like what Brett's doing, which is fantastic, because that's where they learn 
that government service really can be rewarding. And so if we can if we can create more opportunities like that where students understand the value of government, then they come in and work, um, and government works better, restoring faith and and trust in the American people, uh, so that the the culture really shifts about uh, government service and it becomes. Uh, something that uh, people want to do, um, and instead of something people don't know much about, that would look like success for me. Uh, it's a long-term project, uh, but one that's critical to democracy. Frankly, it's critical to our government being able to do its work in a way that is effective and that will allow the citizens to have confidence in it. I couldn't agree more, guys. We are entering our final minutes of the show, so I wanted to just give a chance for everyone to let our listeners know how they can connect with you. You know, if there's a young person out there who's interested in public service, how can they get in touch with each of your organizations to learn a little bit more about what you're doing? Brett, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. So uh, you can find us at psa.asu.edu, and we'd love to hear from young Americans that want to go on and serve the nation. I'll also say other universities and partners like Volcker Alliance, who uh, we have a good relationship with, we are looking to expand this idea around the country. This was never intended to just be something that happened at ASU. We want to do this at scale, and that's kind of the next phase as we've got our first class. We're looking forward to continued partnerships and collaboration to uh, strengthen the nation. Awesome. And Tom? Sure. Um, anyone who is, is eager to hear more about the Alliance or work with us uh, can simply go to uh, VolkerAlliance.org um, and learn more about our work and our, our team, and we're eager to talk to them and eager to partner with people. We're a small organization that needs good partners like ASU and, and like the Presidential Management Fellows, uh, both groups of which we've worked with. and. And I will say that, you know, if this is going to be successful long term, if we're really going to make a difference in this workforce crisis, it's going to take all of us working together. Uh, It's going to take universities all over the country and government workers all over the country and the private sector and all of us uh, pulling, pulling our share of the weight if we're going to make this happen. So we're eager to work with anyone who wants to work with us. Couldn't agree more. Ariane, how do we get in touch with PMF? Absolutely. Um, I want to thank Tom from the Volcker Alliance and, and Brett as well. Um, the partnerships that we have with organizations like that is really what allow us to be able to thrive and be successful. The Volcker Alliance has been an incredible supporter and advocate of the program, and we really value the work that we do with them, both with Gov2U and other initiatives, because this is our bread and butter. We, we care so passionately about public service. How can we do that through the PMF program? How can we do that government-wide? And it's folks like Volcker um, that, that help us really figure out how to do that. Um, we would love to hear from both federal agencies who are interested in engaging with us and learning more about the program and figuring out how can they bring fellows into their agency, both either on uh, fellowship appointments themselves or through uh, rotational opportunities. The best way to reach us is pmf at opm.gov. Again, that's pmf at opm.gov. And uh, just uh, one plug for our upcoming application season. We're really excited uh, to start our application season for the class of 2020, which will open um, on Thursday, October 3rd and close on uh, Thursday, October 17th. So we are super excited, um, rapidly working on bringing in the next set of future government leaders. So thank you again for um, allowing us to join this really great conversation today. And couldn't agree more with Tom and Brett. It's really going to take all of us to figure out how we can bring more really great young people into public service. Well, this is clearly an initiative that needs everyone to pitch in, so I encourage everyone to reach out to Arianne, Tom, and Brett. That's all the time we have for the show today. Arianne, Tom, Brett, thank you guys so much for chatting with me, and thank you everyone at home for joining FedTalk. FedTalk is brought to you by the federal employment law firm Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, and check out these guys. They are eager to work with you.